Lord, it's, it's in your presence that we live. The cross is what gives us power. It's what gives us hope. It what, it's what gives us strength to move from day to day in a cruel and fallen world. Hope for your soon return. Because the cross speaks of resurrection. Resurrection speaks of ascension and ascension speaks of your soon return. We praise you and we thank you and we look forward to that day. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. So when Barbara and I lived in San Antonio for a year, we would visit the Alamo. Uh, We visited it several times. In fact, the Alamo in San Antonio, right, thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know how many uh, visitors it it gets a year, but it's really quite a striking place uh, to go. And many consider it a, a holy place, a place where you remain silent, or a place where at least you speak only in, in hushed tones. Those familiar with the Alamo uh, can recall the story of Colonel William Travis, who uh, drew a line in the sand with his sword. Now, while the origins of drawing a line in the sand are, come from antiquity, uh, it's uh, most well known to us in association with the siege of the the Alamo. So according to the legend, uh, during the last days of the battle, the, the mission was surrounded and defeat was, in fact, inevitable. Uh, so Santa Anna had told Travis uh, to surrender at discretion, which means that Santa Anna would do whatever Santa Anna wanted to do, or else he would, when he attacked, fly the red flag which means no quarter, which means uh, all will die. So Travis gathered his men together, and he took that sword, and he drew a line in the dirt, and he asked his men to choose their fate. Surrender and leave the Alamo, or cross the line and join in defending the mission to the death. No turning Back, a Rubicon, if you want to put it in Julius Caesar terms. According to the story, all the defenders except one crossed the line. And so it was that all the defenders of the Alamo uh, perished before daybreak on March the 6th, 1836. Now, There was actually a two-pronged attack that was going on during that time. Santa Ana had sent General Urea to Goliad. Now, Goliad was a place where Fanon and his troops were were at, and they were ordered to retreat because this was not going to go well. And General Houston knew that, so he told Fanon to get out of there. But they delayed about five days. Uh, Nobody really knows why. But that delay, even if, had they just left earlier that morning, uh, they would have been fine. But as it was, they were caught out in the open. And even though they were able to fend off multiple attacks, they ultimately saw that further fighting was futile. And so Fannin 
and his men surrendered. Santa Anna uh, refused the uh, mercy that General Urea had asked for and had them all slaughtered in cold blood, Fannin and his 400 men. Uh, the Texans were outraged and enraged. And so when they caught up, when Houston and his men caught up with Santa Ana at what is now Deer Park, it's about 40 miles from here, we're told today, right, that they cried, Remember the Alamo! Well, that's only true in part, because equally as loud, if not louder, was Remember Goliath! And in fact, some of the men, there were 28 men, who survived the attack at Goliad, many of whom were with Houston at this moment. Some of the survivors then shouting, remember Goliad. Now this is, it's, this is an extraordinary thing. In 18 minutes, 18 minutes, not much more than three quarters of this sermon, Nine Texans were killed and 30 were wounded. Santa Ana lost 630 dead. 18 minutes, 630 dead, 208 wounded, and 730 taken prisoner. Sam Houston uh, called for quarter that would have killed them all. War is ugly, it's always been ugly. There is nothing beautiful about it. There is also, sadly, no getting around it until the Lord comes. I I try to imagine myself what it must have been like either at Goliad or at the Alamo knowing that when I surrendered, my fate was in somebody else's hand. Or if I crossed the line and I stood with Travis, uh, I would be dead before morning. Uh, Those are the kind of uh, choices that these men made. Definitive. And uh, that look back at history, a little bit of our Texas history, is the most appropriate introduction that I can find in relationship to John chapter 9, as we leave John chapter 9 today. Why? Because when he came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, he drew a line in the sand. And where we stand relative to that line will determine our eternal destiny. It will determine whether you live or whether you die, or whether you die and find life, or whether you die and find death. The inevitable consequence of Jesus coming to this earth is to be confronted with his claims. We find ourselves at a crossroads or at a line in the sand. You must decide. And in turn, that decision determines everything. Everything. John 9, 39 through 41 reads this. 
John, uh, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see uh, may see and those who see may become blind. Some Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, you might be wondering right off the bat, why in the world would Jesus say, uh, for judgment I came into this world when John 3.17, right? We all know John 3.16. John 3.17 says that for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. But if you keep reading, you even find in 18 through 21 of John 3, right? that the concept of judgment is implicit in everything that's going on. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So the sun comes out, the lights come on, the very nature of light is to illuminate. The very nature of light in that illumination, just look around you on the floor or around you and you will see shadows. The very of nature of light causes shadows to be cast. And the brighter the light, the deeper the shadow and so when Jesus came in to offer light and life, those who trusted him and accepted him would be able to see that light and those who rejected would move away and hate the light because they love their sin. And therefore, they come under judgment. So you see, it's just a natural consequence. It's stated even more directly in Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 36. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. Oh, wait, this is, this is Jesus? This is, we're fixing to make our turn to Christmas and this is Jesus? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy enemies will be those of his own household. Wow. It's important to understand, even with looking at it from this judgment angle, from this angle of the sword, that his goal was not to bring a sword. That was not his goal. His goal was to bring peace. And as we do turn toward his uh, coming, we even spoke of that a little bit this morning, the, the epiphany. That what we find is even that the message that was given to the shepherds was a message of peace. So the primary message of peace, though, that came from Jesus was between God and between uh, humanity and uh, mankind. See, before Christ, we were enemies. We were enemies trapped in our sins, but while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us so that we might be reconciled to him. So when we put our faith in Jesus as Lord and we're made right with God, 
we are justified. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He, did, he came to bring us peace, eternal peace. He did not come to end war. Not that time. The next time he comes, he will. Now what Jesus did mean by bringing a sword is this inevitable consequence of the presence of Jesus causing separation. You cannot look at Jesus and not be forced to make a decision about him. Uh, the separation between those who claim to have spiritual insight, even though they're in fact spiritually blind, and those who are blind and they recognize it, if they're conscious of it, then they have an opportunity to receive sight by his touch. Now we've spent seven weeks in John chapter 9. We've looked at this incident concerning this man who was born blind, who was awakened, not only he was well aware of his physical blindness, but he was also awakened to his spiritual blindness. And we might have thought, or he might have thought, that receiving sight was the greatest need in his life. And Jesus did that for him. But when it was all said and done, Jesus loops back around. He tracks him down and he asks them this most critical question. Jesus drew a line in the sand and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the man moves toward the line and he asks Jesus, Who is he? Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe. So in... in in many ways, you know, his heart, was al- his heart was already there. He simply needed to know. And the Lord uh, told him where to put his faith. And this man directly contrasts uh, the Pharisees who were too blind to see. So the ones who claimed to have sight could not see. The ones who were blind were able to see because they had the need of that. Now, the... The truth of this is not tucked away in the gospel, right? It's out front. Uh, When the light shines, uh, that is when the line is drawn in the sand, as it were, those who come to find it find the light, they find sight. Sadly, those who turn away from the light find a deeper darkness. I want you to think back. Jesus quotes this. Isaiah 6, 8 through 10, reads, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Wow. And then... What a beautiful thing, right? The Lord is saying, who will go? And, and you say, here am I, Lord, send me. Now he's going to give the commission. Go and say to this people, okay, Lord, I'm ready. You're sending me. I am ready to give your message to this people. Keep on hearing 
but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What? (laughs) Is that not bizarre? I mean, when we look at the occasions where this is quoted in the New Testament, you have to wonder how it is that Isaiah responded to the commission. Isaiah was a smart guy. So, okay, so I'm thinking, okay, Lord, all right, Uh, I get it. Um, You've given me this commission. They're to hear, but not understand. They're to see, but not perceive. Okay, I know what you want me to do. I'm going to make this story so complicated that even the most intelligent people won't be able to get it. I'm going to make it so complex and elaborate that even the people who try their hardest will not understand what you're trying to say to the people. I get it. No, that's not what he did. What he did, in fact, was he was so clear, he was so straightforward and so concise that what he said was to them simple. And in fact, they do the same thing that the Pharisees do. Are we blind too? They do the same thing. In in, in Isaiah 28, the people's reaction is this. Why are you treating us like children? Who are you trying to teach? In essence, you're being too simple. Let me read this for you. To whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. In other words, what you're saying, Isaiah, is so simple that a baby who no longer is breastfeeding can understand what you say. You need to, we need to get this. Our Unbelief is not passive. It is active. We actively have to move away from God. And then there's some beautiful lines here. They're, they're a little bit taken out of context for some organizations, but that's okay. For it's precept upon precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You know, uh, the, 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 notion, the notion is we're not children. John did not try to complicate the message. In fact, what Jesus, or what God, was telling to Isaiah, I think I said John, I meant Isaiah, was not trying to complicate the message. And neither, of course, is Jesus, and neither, of course, is John. John tells us in chapter 12 that even after Jesus had done all of these miracles, they still did not believe in him. And then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 once again. So the one, the one who has spiritual blindness, it never occurs to them that they're spiritually blind. One of the indications of your blindness spiritually speaking, is that you don't think you're blind. It has, goes back to that Stanford uh, study that they did. Is it possible for an incompetent person to recognize their incompetence? And the answer was no. 
The tools necessary to recognize incompetence come with being competent. And in fact, those who are incompetent actually have a higher view of their abilities than those who are competent. It's an amazing study, really. So the blind, not only do they not think they're the blind, they think they are the ones with the lights that are showing you the way. They think that they are the ones who are curing blindness. They think that they are the ones who are enlightening the path. But the truth is, we're blind. Outside of Jesus Christ, who gives us sight, we would be forever blind. Now this kind of blindness, uh, I don't want to entirely, you know, kind of make it some sort of physical blindness and spiritual blindness. I mean, there's a kind of an obvious connection there. But I want to talk about it in a, a little bit different way. It's referred to by psychologists as inattentional blindness. Okay, so blindness is brought about by inattention. You're not looking. Uh, That is, there are things in your perceptual field. There are things that you see. There are things that you hear. There are things that you smell. There are things in your uh, field uh, that you don't process at all. Uh, You could walk out of here and say, did you see that? And somebody else might say, what are you talking about? And you miss it all uh, altogether. So there was a study that was done a number of years ago uh, called the uh, Monkey Business Illusion. I've showed that here because it's so good. Uh, And uh, where your task is to count the number of times a basketball by uh, one team is passed. In the midst of this 60-second clip, a person in a gorilla outfit comes out, stands in the middle, beats their chest, and walks off. And for people who are not expecting it and don't know about it, fully 50% don't see it at all. And if you told them that that was the case they would actually say you were not being truthful with them. It's an amazing, it's, it's just an amazing thing. So you have that. Now, the opposite of inattentional blindness is what in the military, the, the police, I think all of your first responders call situational awareness. Now, situational awareness, or SA for short, is a state of mind where the, the military, the police, the first responders are aware of their surroundings and who could possibly harm or help beyond the immediate context. Sometimes that's hard to do. Situational uh, awareness is in fact considered the most critical uh, skill that a first responder can have because it becomes the basis for every other decision that you make. Because if you're not aware of something, guess what? You're not going to make a decision based on something that you don't know. The Pharisees had zero spiritual situational awareness. And that was coupled with this most extraordinary blindness because it was a blindness that they had wrapped themselves up with their religious standards, their formalism, and their, their righteousness. 
you know, far from being in the shadows, they regarded themselves as beacons, as instructors of babes and, and foolish. Paul argues in Romans 3 that the whole world is accountable before God, right? Gentile and Jew alike. So whether you don't know him or whether you think you know him better than anyone else, you're going to have to ask and answer the question about Jesus Christ. And so it makes this question all the more striking when Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. The sneer leaps off the page. The Pharisees around him, you know, you, you can hear the derision. Uh, are, are we also blind, you uneducated Galilean hick? So I want to end. Let me rephrase that. I want to begin the ending. Have you ever had preachers do that? In conclusion, 20 minutes later, no, I'm not going to do that. But I do want to begin this ending where Jesus ended. In verse 41, he said this, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see your guilt remains. So Jesus came to those who knew their need of him. How many of you, when you came to Jesus Christ, thought, huh, that's a good idea? I don't think so. I suppose it's possible Jesus will uh, take belief anyway I believe that he uh, can get it. But my guess is it was like, oh man, I'm a sinner. How can a good God forgive me? And he does throw so through through Jesus Christ, and therefore we see. And while the blind man illustrated this progress of faith, which is tremendous if you look at it all through chapter nine, the Pharisees show us the regression of faith. They got worse. It became worse and worse as they went along, and Jesus had already warned them that unless they believed in him, they would die in their sins. So I want us to note three things. First. These are some of the most, even if I don't say them well, these are some of the most critical points that I've ever made or ever will make from the pulpit. Staying in spiritual blindness is not a passive activity. It is actively insisting that you see on your own and that you have no need of a Savior. I mean, because paradoxically, right? The way to see. I mean, what does Jesus say about how to live? You die in order to live, right? You you are someone, the way to see is to admit that you're blind. And then the Lord can do something uh, with you. But if we assert that, you know, hey, I I see pretty well without Jesus. That leaves us in our blindness. Peter tells us, in other words, that pride keeps us from grace. God resists the proud. He resists, think about that. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's not passive. Second, 
staying in spiritual blindness in order to stay there, we have to actively reject the gift of sight that he gives us. So it's not simply a recognition solely of our need. It is also an active rejection of the gift that he gives. The need's not simple enough by itself that needs, needs to be answered through God's salvation. In verse 41, you have this gracious offer, really, of salvation. Jesus does this a lot because all you have to do is listen to him. If you were blind, you would have no sin. In other words, he's telling them the formula. Do you want faith, eternal life, reconciliation with God? Then admit your blindness. But since you say we see, your sin remains. I mean, Jesus is simply, as simply as, uh, as I can put it, if you would admit your blindness, you would not come into judgment. It is your stubborn rejection of the gift that Jesus offers that keeps us in our sins. So rejecting, this, is, this leads to a really terrifying truth. And that is the rejecting the light that God graciously offers leads to further blindness and hardening and judgment. It's a scary principle. If you reject the light that God gives you, you will confirm your own rejection and he will let you have your way. In Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. And he responded again, Isaiah 6, 9. In their uh, case, right, it was being fulfilled right at that moment in Matthew Keep on hearing, not understand, seeing, not perceiving. Because the heart of this people has become dull. Had God stopped speaking his word to them? Has God stopped speaking his word to us? Are we ignorant? Seriously, in this chapel, are we ignorant of the word of God? We are not. He continues to offer and offer but we become harder and harder if we refuse. How do we respond? How do you respond? How have you responded to the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Because it has enormous consequences. If you shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, I don't know, I don't care, I'll think about it later, you're actually closing your eyes to the light of God. And at one point, it will be the last time. And this is true not only of salvation, this is also true of sanctification and how we follow Jesus. Our hearts may grow dull and those outside of Christ will die in their sins and those with Christ 
we may die further away from Jesus than we would want to. But the very presence of Jesus draws a line in the sand. I didn't warn Fred. Where's Fred at? But I do have a sword. And the question is, do you believe in the Son of Man? Because Jesus draws a line to believe or not to believe. John, in his book, there is no, there is no limbo. There is no limbic area. There is no space without Jesus. There is no abstention for you. You must vote and you must vote with your feet. You must move to the side of the line that is drawn. On the one side is death. The other side is life. Choose life. Do not choose death. And that's what the Bible says, and it says to us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We have a choice in this. We can say, Lord, soften my heart. Allow me to listen. Because the next day, you may not hear his voice. If this is the day that you do hear, Maybe this is the day that you will see. Do something. Make your choice. Jesus will not allow you to waver forever. Father, we, we come to a... conclusion as to why is it that John spent so much time on this particular miracle. We find the outcomes in chapter 10, but what we can draw from it now is this, is that you see or you do not see, you hear or you do not hear, you perceive or you do not perceive. The room for negotiation, the room for hesitation, the room for wavering, every second becomes smaller. Lord, if there's someone listening to me who has not chosen to trust your Son, Jesus Christ, for their salvation, I pray that they would see right now that that is the only way. For those of us who see, but perhaps have moved aside further than we want, bring us back. Keep us walking and living for you. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.